Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What we do find is in the UK, there is a shortage of egg donors. So it's, you know, quite often if you go down the route of egg donation, you might, as a recipient, you're going to be sitting on a waiting list potentially for an egg donor to become available. My best friend was our surrogate, mine and my husband's surrogate. So uh, we were actually registered as intended parents, as known donors. So as intended parents, you sign forms and you are registered with the HFEA as known donors because you are basically donating your embryo to your surrogate. Hello and welcome to my Surrogacy Journey podcast. We are the UK's number one surrogacy podcast. So in today's episode, we'll be hearing from Francesca Stein and Sophie Smith and talking all things egg donation. Fran and Sophie have both had different experiences of surrogacy and therefore egg donation too. And we'll be explaining what it means to be an egg donor and how to find an egg donor from an intended parent's point of view. So without further ado, here is my chat with Sophie and Fran. Hello and welcome to Fran and Sophie. We're really thrilled to have you both in the studio today. Fran, where have you travelled from today? So I've travelled from very dark and cold Swansea this morning on the 522 train. And Sophie, what about you? I have travelled from Hertfordshire on the 845 train. (laughs) So a little bit later than Fran. But Sophie Smith is our known egg donor coordinator at My Surrogacy Journey and looks after all of the onboarding and general care of our known egg donors Mm -hmm. and then Francesca Stein I call her Fran she is here today representing known egg donors and we're going to talk a little bit in a second about who she donated her eggs for but Fran is also the clinical lead here at My Surrogacy Journey so we are very privileged to have two amazing people in the studio with us today. So Fran why don't you tell the listener what we are going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about egg donors, so known egg donors through my surrogacy journey, the difference between a known egg donor and an unknown egg donor, and the care and support that we provide at MSJ for our egg donors. So tell us about the role you play as a known egg donor coordinator at my surrogacy journey. So I look after all the egg donors that we onboard here uh, throughout their whole process that they go through and supporting them along the way, practically, emotionally, and I'm just here for every step of the journey, really, to make sure that they know about their member benefits and that they're using them as they should be and that they're really happy and that we can support them 
along the way through yeah. that their journey amazing we're very lucky to have you on board and i think that i think what's fair to say is that some donors require more support than others you know some might have donated before some it's the first time and whatever your history is around donations sophie is there to support you if i look back to when michael and i first started our journey with Tallulah. The whole donor element was just like the unknown, you know, and we relied really heavily on the clinic that we chose to kind of guide us through what the process was. And if I'm being really honest, we didn't ever really consider a non-donor because I don't think it was an option for us. And I think, you know, now we are out the other end, have two children, have a known donor and an unknown donor to create our family. I think it's really important to make sure people understand what those options are, what the differences are, and how they should potentially approach trying to find a donor. So I'm not sure if everyone knows, but when for Tallulah, our our daughter, we selected an unknown donor. And then in between us having our second child, we had a failed cycle through another unknown donor and then decided to move clinics. And it was at that point that we realized that known donation was an option. So a very good friend of ours who happens to be sat to my left, Francesca, she offered to donate her eggs for our last cycle, which evolved into and is now our little ball of joy, Duke, our two-year-old. Going through our journey, we realized that the differences between it, but I wish I'd have known all of those options and differences when we were right at the start of our journey. Fran, would you just give us a real overview of the difference between a known donor and an unknown donor? Yeah, I think, I mean, the important thing to remember is that, you know, we still have to meet criteria. So if you have treatment with an egg donor, you still have treatment through a fertility clinic, so a licensed fertility centre. So we do have to meet some of the criteria there in terms of the donor needs to fit the criteria of the HFEA. And they govern and licence all fertility clinics in the UK and licensed fertility treatments. So they provide guidance, um, guidelines, the code of practice that we all work to and adhere to and make sure that clinics are, for, are providing safe and effective care. So they need to be registered as a donor and screened as a donor and consented as a donor. But I think with the elements which breaks it down a little bit is that you've got your unknown donors who essentially you're not going to meet. So you don't know who they are. When your child reaches the age of 16, they can find out some non-identifying information about the donor. When they reach 18, they can find out identifying information. So last known address, name, date of birth, those sorts of things. With your known donor, you know, you've got access to that information all the time, which potentially I feel, and I mean, this is this is my opinion, is better for the child so that you've, you know, you can be open and transparent from the very get-go. But I think it's also better for parents, if you like, because you've got access to that person, you've got access to the information if you need it. And I, again, personally feel that, you know, I quite like the fact of known donation. Yes, you know, I already loved Michael and Wes anyway, but knowing where my eggs are going was quite important to me. And Fran, you know, you just mentioned having access to the donor, knowing all of that information and having a relationship with them. I think if I if I look now at both of our children, one known and one unknown, I think both Michael and I have said very clearly that if we had to make that choice again, we would use a known donor because, you know, we wouldn't change it for the world now because we have our beautiful little Tallulah. But 
if I look at the birth of them in terms of, you know, we have access to Oderna, if we have any medical elements to what well, this has happened with Duke, you know, with his intolerances and his allergies, we had access to you to say, is this something you experienced as a child or did any of your children experience this? For me, what I would like people to get out of this podcast today is about understanding the difference and making a choice that's right for them. You've got to be informed and you've got to understand what all those options are. So, Fran, what, what do you think? Why do you think some people choose an unknown donor versus a known donor? I think there's a few things. I mean, so the, the key thing I I believe is the fact that you know you know you can go into a clinic. The clinic can choose a donor for you. So you fill out a form. These are the, the characteristics that I'm looking for: basic physical characteristics, and the clinic will match you. So the stress of finding a donor and making sure that's the right person for you is is almost taken away if that's a stressful process for you. And, you know, I think each their own. Some people prefer that they don't have to be involved in that, you know, decision-making process and the fact that the unknown donor is not known to them. So they haven't got an extra person who might have a relationship with them and their child. Not saying that the donors would want a relationship and not all known donors do want a relationship. I mean, it's, it's different for us, of course. But I do know that some recipients and intended parents do worry that the donor will want more access than they're willing to give. So, you know, to take that away... That is why people might choose to use an unknown donor. Fran, just just let's talk about some of the the legal elements around donation. So, I've I've been asked this question, you know, lots of times. Once a donor consents to donate, do they, you know, then hand over all of their legal right to that child? Pretty much, they've got no legal parenthood or parental responsibility to that child. So once you donate, you you donate. You know, you can't then go back and say, "Oh, I've changed my mind. I'd like to be a co-parent, or I'd like to be involved in that child's life." It's at the end of the day, it's a bunch of cells that you're donating, whether it be sperm, egg, or embryos. You know, you you are just donating a bunch of cells. That's how I see it. And it you know, clinically and biologically, that's how it is. Much like if you were donating blood, you you don't go and say, "I would like my blood back, please." So you know, you're donating cells to a couple, a person, you know, recipients to be able to go on to have a family. So you have no legal parenthood rights, no parental responsibility. I mean, you can withdraw consent, but not after conception has taken place and not after an embryo transfer, for example. So you can't withdraw after that time. And you also mentioned the the criteria that a set of intended parents could know about an unknown donor. What are those key elements? Because I think a lot of people get confused around what they can know about that donor. Would you just talk us through what those elements are? Yeah, so you basically can know physical characteristics. So basic physical char- characteristics, which include hair colour, eye colour, you know, BMI, skin tone. You can know about their um, education. You can know about their religious beliefs. You can know that if they've got any children of their own. But it's quite basic, the information you've got. What we do encourage all donors to do is to fill out something called a donor information form, which actually you know, intended parents have to fill out as well because they're registered as donors. But the donor information form captures all of this information. And there's a part at the end of the form, which is called a goodwill message. And we can provide that to recipients. It tells you a bit about the donor, but without giving um, any sort of giving the game away, if you like, about identity. So you can provide that. So it's basic physical characteristics with a little bit of information about hobbies, interests, job, occupation and, and education level. And I get asked a lot from intended parents around the type of things that are screened or the type of things that might exclude someone from being a donor. Would you mind just kind of talking through what some of those bits are? You know, people talk about mental health. They talk about hereditary elements. What what are the type of things that are part of the HFA regulations which would, would prohibit someone from being a donor? 
So it's it's quite a lot actually. So what we do find is in the UK there is a shortage of egg donors. So it's you know quite often if you go down the route of egg donation, you might as a recipient you're going to be sitting on a, a waiting list potentially for an egg donor to become available, and that's because a lot of egg donors come forward with the intention of donating, but they don't all make th- make it through the criteria. It's quite strict, so they have to be you know fit and healthy, free from any hereditary conditions, under the age of 35, non-smokers. They, we do screen um, for karyotypes, so chromosomal abnormalities in the blood. We screen for cystic fibrosis, sexual health screening. They have implications counselling. We look at, we often write to their GP to see if there's anything in their history that could potentially cause them not to be a donor. So it's quite a, a rigorous process and it's quite a strict process. So there's universal policy really about how we should recruit donors and and that comes from the HFEA and some clinics will have extra measures in place but we do do a thorough check before we accept anyone onto a donation program. What about if you don't know you, some of your heritage so if you maybe you're adopted or you don't know who your one of your parents are would that exclude you as well? Unfortunately, yes. So lots of clinics have a policy in place where they won't accept donors who don't know their origins or, you know, if they're adopted and they haven't located or traced their biological parents. Um, Unfortunately, is the way it is that those people will be excluded from the programme. So Sophie, let's let's jump back a little bit then. So, you know, as we introduced you, you mm-hmm. are the My Surrogacy Journey Egg Donor Coordinator. So just to give a bit of an outline on my history, I have a little boy via surrogacy and my best friend was our surrogate, mine and my husband's surrogate. So uh, we were actually registered as intended parents as known donors so as intended parents you sign forms and you are registered with the hfea as known donors because you are basically donating your embryo to your surrogate which actually fran just reminded me of this morning and i cannot remember uh, doing that but yeah those are the legal requirements and it is a little bit archaic the laws in the uk but that is how it works at the minute so we were both classed as donors for our surrogate so if you were transitioned from what would be an IVF journey for you and your husband, which mm-hmm. wasn't successful, and then surrogacy becomes your new route, then at that point, you would then transfer over to be classed as a donor. Yeah, so you, you are. So you fill out the forms and the screening and become a known donor essentially for your own child. Which is a little bit backwards. It is. And I also think that a lot of people, I mean, you said it just so, yeah. you know, you didn't realise that that was what was happening. No, uh, I mean, I'm sure I did at the time, uh, yeah, but sure. <laughs> you sign a lot of forms. So. But Sophie, why don't you give us a bit more information about the specifics of the non-egg donor programme with my surrogacy journey so if you are thinking about becoming a donor with my surrogacy journey you would initially have a consultation with michael wes usually which would i would be involved with and we would go over the criteria that is involved with becoming a known egg donor which includes generally being between the ages of 18 to 35 as a general rule but i think fran can you be a little bit older as a known egg donor you can. With known donation, you can sort of stretch that a bit as long as the IPs and the recipients are aware and the, and the donors are aware of any risks. We know that older eggs can be more susceptible to chromosomal damage. So, you know, just making sure that everyone's aware of, of that there are added risks. But yes, you can be older. The other things that we would look at is your obviously your medical history. Check that there's, as Fran said, no genetic or hereditary disorders. To have a healthy BMI, that is important through going through the egg donation process 
as Fran also said, be a non-smoker or have stopped smoking within the past three months. And you have to be aware that you will need to attend regular clinic meetings, uh, go through a counselling, and you also get legal guidance through us as well. So we have over 23 member benefits for known egg donors that we can take you through at consultation level. We would then look at the matching process. So we would see what intended parents are on board with us and they fill out a criteria form, which we go through, and we would then introduce the known egg donors to the intended parents and the process would begin. So Sophie, I know for all of our other members, all of our other memberships, counselling plays a really massive part mm-hmm. of that and and it's no different for the egg donor programme as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's involved? So at your clinic, you would have mandatory counselling um, But we also then offer additional counselling under MSJ with our accredited counsellors. And it is really important that you have these sessions just to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. You understand the process and that you can it can be a smooth uh, journey for you. So we really make sure that you get all that emotional support before you start the journey of actually donating. Yeah, I mean, Sophie's right. So you do, you know, it's mandatory to have implications counselling at the clinic and it will be, you know, something that has to take place when you actually are donating your eggs physically at the clinic. But Sophie and, and our counselling team will provide support all the way through because it, let's face it, yes, I alluded to it being, you know, donating cells like donating blood, but it is a more invasive process. So you will need some support along the way. Talk us through what that retrieval process is and what that looks like. I know there's, you know, there's meds involved, there's procedures. It is quite invasive. So someone who was potentially thinking about being a known egg donor, what could they expect from that process? I think, you know, it is important to understand that it's, it is a physical process and we do, in order to get those eggs, we need to stimulate first. So you will be given some fertility medication to stimulate the ovaries to stimulate the eggs to grow really so there are hormones injectable hormones that you'll take daily at the end of about a two-week process you're going to end up having an egg collection which is a surgical procedure it doesn't take very long it's it's a day procedure usually takes about 20 minutes and you will be asleep because it's done under conscious sedation but it's where the eggs will be extracted they'll be taken into the laboratory and to fertilize with sperm from your, your intended parents or recipients but it's um you know it's physical so it's a gynae procedure you are having a mini surgical procedure you are going to have sedation so that day you really need to rest but you do recover quite quickly it doesn't take very long at all and you know you might find that you've got some twinges and and aches and pains which paracetamol are absolutely fine to use for and then you'll get your period potentially about a week later so what you're looking at really is about four to six weeks for the for the whole process really to to get you prepped for the stimulation and for the egg collection, that's pretty much how long it will take for from start to finish. Let's talk about donor compensation because this donor compensation is a regulated amount by the HFEA and this has to be paid by a licensed centre, i.e. the clinic, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So like surrogacy, we can't we can't pay donors for their eggs. It's not a commercial arrangement, it's altruistic. What we can do is compensate donors for loss of expenses, you know, the time coming into the clinic and things like that. So there is a set fee, it's £750, and that is paid by the clinic. So the clinic will arrange that payment and that compensation to you once you've donated. Now, if you don't proceed completely with a donation, so if you don't get to egg collection, then what they can do is, for whatever reason, you know, medical or, 
or you don't feel that it's something for you, you can still f- have compensation for your appointment times and things like that. And, and the clinic will do it on, a, on an appointment basis. The HFEA criteria for, for compensation for egg donation is £750. So Fran, does that mean that a known donor would still follow that same pathway from the HFEA for compensation? Do they, does a known donor get exactly the same element as, a, as an unknown donor? Yep, absolutely. So known donors and unknown donors are both entitled to the same amount of compensation through the clinics. And the HFEA regs apply the same whether you're a known or unknown donor, the regulations are the same? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, Fran, people talk around donation about AMH. Now, tell us what AMH is. So, AMH is anti-malarian hormone. It's got nothing to do with malaria. Um, It's basically a test that looks at uh, our ovarian reserve. So, our eggs really and how much you know how many eggs we've got on board and you know how fertile we are it's a simple blood test it can be done at any day in the cycle and what clinicians tend to do and clinics use that as a good determination of your how fertile you are and how you're going to respond to stimulation drugs if you're going through a donation cycle but if you were going through IVF treatment yourself so it's just it gives us an idea of your fertility so one of the things that we had to consider with our journey and our children are not biologically linked because when we started our journey no one told us that the best thing to to do would be to use the same donor uh, and both Michael and I create embryos. Now, if you're new coming into this and you think that, you know, you're just going to create embryos, if you're a same-sex couple and you both want to create embryos and have your children have a biological link, a lot of people sometimes who, who you know, who don't know what to do, they will just create embryos from for the first person uh, using their sperm. And then once the child's born, further down the line, create another one. Fred, what would your advice be around creating embryos and choosing a donor? So that's another positive or plus, if you like, if you're thinking about known egg donation, because a lot of the clinics will have, you know, some clinics have large donation programs. So they've got, you know, available donors. So you can potentially have one donor who's donating to each of you. So you don't, so she'll go through a donation cycle and 50% of her eggs will go to one of the IPs and 50% will go to the other. And you'll both use your sperm if you're in a same sex couple to fertilize and have embryos now some clinics work on an egg sharing basis where that may not be available because 
we don't know how many eggs the donor's going to have and she'll be keeping 50% of those for herself potentially because she's an egg sharer. So with no egg donation, you know that you've got all of the eggs if you like so you can make that decision about you know if you're going to split them and, and, and fertilise 50-50 which does as we've already said, save time and it does save cost, but you've also both got that biological link to the, to, with the donor. So it is a possibility and it's something that should be considered. So it's definitely if you're you know, thinking about altruistic egg donation, so if you've got a clinic that has egg donors and they don't egg share and they are going to match you exclusively with that donor, then it's an option for you. Known egg donation, of course, it's an option because they're your egg donor that you know, but with egg sharing, it's not always available and not always we're not always able to do it because we just don't know how many eggs are going to be collected yeah and, and i remember specifically you know when we chose our first donor we specifically asked was she happy to do a sibling journey and she was absolutely yes 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 so on that basis we proceeded but then when we had to lula and was starting again for our trying for our second we went back to the clinic and asked them you know specifically could you find this donor again and they didn't get any response and we had to write to the clinic had to write to a gp to try and get make contact but what happened was that our donor was ill uh, she, they didn't tell us what it was because they can't, but, you know, she wasn't able to donate again, which was a real blur to us, you know, because we'd always had this plan that our children would be biologically linked. And again, that's the things, you know, if we'd have known what we know now, we'd have done it differently. I wouldn't change it for the world because Tallulah's here, but I think if you are going to start your family and you, you know what all the pitfalls are and what all the options are, then you can make those best informed choices right at that start of the journey and, and plan it that way. I think we couldn't do an episode around egg donation if we didn't acknowledge the amazing women who help like Michael and I. Our family wouldn't have been created without the help of two amazing egg donors, one of whom is sat to my left, but another one is out there somewhere who decided to change someone's life and, and create life by the sheer gift of giving, uh, of donating their eggs. And I don't want to sound cheesy by any means, but I think... There are lots of people out there, whether they're a same-sex couple or whether they've, they're have they a heterosexual couple, they're a cancer survivor. There, there's, there's lots of different reasons why people need people to help them create their family through egg donation. It would be unfair not to acknowledge the amazing gift. I know that sounds really cheesy, but it, it is. You know, it, it changes people's lives. And I just want to appeal to anyone listening who may have you know, just thought about potentially donating their eggs is that... It is possible, and if and if you can do it, then you should. Sophie uh, and the team at MSJ are there to guide and support you all the way through it because I just look at my kids and know that I wouldn't have them without people donating their eggs. Wes, I couldn't have put it better myself. Not rehearsed at all. So Fran, Sophie, thank you for being amazing today and thank you for listening. What really resonated with me today and it really kind of brought it all back because it feels like such a long time ago is that choice and the process that we went through and the mistakes we made of not actually having a podcast like this to listen to at the start of our journey. So talking to Sophie and Fran today really highlighted for me what a journey we'd been on and the mistakes we made. So I'm hoping that you listening to this episode today might help you not make the same mistakes that we made and help you understand better and help you make better choices. But also, if you're not an IP and you're an egg donor or someone who's thinking about potentially donating their eggs, I would advise you to go for it. 
and help make a massive difference to someone's life. If you like this, then please listen to the rest of the series. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, and my Surrogacy Journey member portal. Thank you for listening to us. I've been your host, Wes. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.